We're in our series called Afterglow, and last week we saw that the reason we have desires that nothing in this world is satisfying is because our home is in a different world, that we are not yet home. So we looked last week at our longing for home. We looked at this journey that we are set out on to find home. And then we saw how ultimately we find our true home in and through Christ. And so we find home and we enter into that front door, and we, what we find is that we have just walked into a mansion. We have walked into this great hall, and this great hall is filled with many rooms, and these rooms are filled with the people that we love. And in this great hall, it smells with the aroma of love, joy, and peace, and rest, and, and comfort, and satisfaction, and happiness and everything that we want to come true has now finally come true. And we're finally breathing the breath that we're meant to breathe. And the great prize of heaven, Christ, is there with us. Now imagine we're in this great hall. We're in heaven. We're in this great hall. We see at the end of this hall this door that we have yet to see open. And for some reason, we feel drawn to that door. We want to go through that door. But at the same time, we know that there's something grand on the other side of that door. We have some respect for what's on the other side of that door. And so we're cautious. We're not sure if we should really run through what's at the other side of the door. And today, what we're going to see is Jesus is going to gather us all up. He's running those halls with us, and he gathers us up, and he sits us down, and he starts talking with us. And then someone asks a question. Say, Jesus... We know the very reason you've come into the world was to die for our sins and rise to conquer death. We get that now. We didn't understand it before, but we finally understand it. But what's it all lead to? We say, what's the end? What's the telos? What is the great goal of all of this? And here's what he says. You see that door that you can't take your eyes off of? I died and I rose so that you might get what's on the other side of that door. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look, we're going to see how to walk right through that door, and we're going to see what is on the other side, why we're so drawn to it. Our verses are going to bring us right through. We've been walking through the Gospel of John, and we're in chapter 14, verses 6 through 11. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Now imagine Jesus has gathered us all up. And he's gathered us up right outside of this door. The door that we long to pass through, the, the door that we are drawn to. 
And he says, the reason why you want through that door, the reason why you are drawn to this door, the reason I came and died and rose, so you can pass through that door, and on the other side, that is where my father is. Now, immediately, we, like Philip, we want to know all about the Father. So, so Philip, we say, well, tell us about the Father. And Jesus says, okay. He says, he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. In fact, before the foundation of the world, he had you in his mind. He had you. He thought of you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knows you inside and out. He knows every single hair that's on your head. He knows everything about you, every thought in your heart. And, and he is perfect. In every single way, there is nothing that he cannot do. But in fact, the things that he can't do are things that just solidify his perfection. For example, he can't, he can't break a promise. And the Father has made some grand promises to you. And when you pass through that door, these are promises that are going to make you dance and sing. And when you pass through that door and go to him, all of those promises come true for you. And here's what else. He's relentless. The father is relentless in pursuing justice. And he's radical in giving out grace and love. And he won't allow anything that is outside of his rule of love and his rule of justice in his house. He won't allow any mischievery except for the kind of mischievery that leads to grace and love. And there is that kind of mischievery. Jesus knows it very well. He's the inventor of it. And so then Jesus goes on to explain that his father is the king of everything you can see in everything that is beyond. He's the king. And science is not something that is dictated to him, but he is the one who made the rules of science. So Jesus says, do not lecture him about the rules of science. Science obeys him and his laws. And Jesus says to enter into his room is to enter into the heavenly throne room. And if you are his child, you walk right up and you can sit on that, on the heavenly throne room with him because you come and sit on his lap because he is like your father. So Philip says in our text, well, then show us the father, Jesus, and it is enough for us. In other words, every single one of our desires is just to see him. They'll all be satisfied. They'll all be fulfilled. So just let us see the father. And then Jesus says, Philip, how long have I been with you and still, you do not know me or the Father. Now, Jesus is getting at something very important here. Philip has been in the inner circle. Philip has been on the inside. And yet, being here on the inside, he has missed it. He doesn't know God. He doesn't know the Father. How does this happen? Here's what Jesus is getting at. So often... People will spend their lives in the church and not really know God. See, here's what's happened. There's an intellectual knowledge that you can have of God. You can know all about God. You can read the Bible and learn all of these things about God intellectually without knowing him personally. 
It's possible to be in the church your entire life and not know God, but have an intellectual knowledge of him. You can know, listen, you can know everything about the Queen of England. You can, you can intellectually know her. You can study her. You could read books about her. But to meet her and to enter into a friendship with her is quite a different thing. So sometimes as I'm preparing for sermons, I will listen to other pastors, um, pastors who are great preachers, and I'll listen to a lot of, if it's especially verses that we're covering where they have famous sermons on, I'll listen to them. And so this week as I was listening to some sermons, uh, there, was, there was a pastor, a preacher, who, who talked about being at his past church and giving a sermon. And there was an older, older man in, in the congregation who had been there from the beginning. He had, been, he had been part of that church longer than this pastor had been alive. He'd been on the board of this church. And during one of the sermons that the pastor was preaching, he finished the sermon. It was a sermon about the cross. And afterwards, the man comes up to him and, and says to the preacher, I've never heard it like that before. I've never understood how much I've been forgiven. I've never really understood how gracious God is to me. And the preacher said to himself, I've been saying this like every single week. He's like, it was so strange. It was like this man finally met God. So then a few days later, uh, the preacher gets a call from the older man's wife, and, and she says, what is happening to my husband? He's more patient than he's ever been. He's kinder to me than he's ever been. He's happier. I've never seen him this happy and this content before. What is happening to him? And basically what has happened to this man is he spent his entire life in the church, had a strong intellectual knowledge of God, but did not have a personal relationship with God. He knew all about him, but it wasn't until he understood that the whole reason Jesus came, the whole reason Jesus is being gracious is so that this man could enter into a personal relationship with the Father. Here's what happened. This man spent his whole life in church and finally became a Christian. So what are some signs? I mean, we don't, if you're the worrying type right now, you're like, oh my gosh, am I just like this old man? Um, so what are the signs that we have opened up this door and we've actually met the Father? So here's some questions to ask yourself. When you read the Bible, are you reading it to study about God? Are you reading because you have a question like, oh, I've got this question. Let me go open up the Bible and see what it says about this. Or are you opening up the Bible to meet God, to to, to encounter him, to be in a relationship with him. See, learning about God doesn't equal a relationship with God. But learning about God is required to be in a relationship with him. It's going to enhance your relationship with him. But learning about God doesn't equal a relationship. But we want to learn about God, but we want to learn because the prize is knowing him. The prize is enjoying him. Here's the other thing. When you pray, are you praying through a checklist? Are you praying because you have to, or are you praying because you want to, because you get to go and be with God? You're delighting in just being with Him. 
And it also means that you're learning about God with other people. I mean, you think about this. To enter into the, a relationship with the Almighty God is a pretty daunting thing. I mean, just, it's one thing just to be in His presence, but this is talking about you're actually in a personal relationship with the Almighty God. That is a very daunting thing. And so together, we're trying to figure out, well, what does it mean to be in a relationship with the Almighty God? And someone who's in a personal relationship with the Almighty God, here's what they say. The same way... You molded me in my mother's womb. Keep molding me. Keep making me become who you've made me to become. And this is why so many people will not open up that door. A lot of people, I, I, I'm, I'm fairly convinced that many people aren't rejecting Christianity because they think it's true or not true. It's more because they don't want to go through that door because of what it means to enter into that door. And here's what I mean. When you enter into a relationship with someone, whatever kind of relationship it is, there is a loss of control. Listen, listen, listen. Anytime you enter into a relationship with someone, you have to mold yourself in some type of way. If you're going to be a good friend to someone and they're having, it's their birthday, or they're having a party or something, you go to that party because you're in a relationship with them. What you've just done is you've molded your time to go be in this personal relationship with them. There's a loss of control a bit. You've lost control of your life by entering into a relationship with someone. You've had to sacrifice to an extent. This is what happens in personal relationships. There's a loss of control. How much more do you think you're going to lose control when you enter into a relationship with the almighty God? I mean, when you're friends with someone, they can have an opinion. But they're, they're just a person like you, so you can take their opinion and you can throw it away if you want to. You could do that. I mean, it makes sense to do that a lot of times. But when God says something, who's infinitely more wise than we are, then it means you have to listen to him. So you're losing control of it. This is a relationship like no other relationship because he's infinitely wise. So you, it means that you end up submitting to him, unlike your friends. You don't have to submit to your friends because they're not infinitely wise. Some of you are like, my friends aren't that wise at all. Um, <laughs> but this is completely different when you enter into a personal relationship. His wisdom is unarguably beyond yours. To not submit to him is like, imagine you're teaching a five-year-old how to drive. And you're in the passenger seat, they're in the driver's seat. And you're driving and you're like, okay, you better submit to the things that I'm saying. You better listen to me. So you're driving, and you say, turn right, and they're like, no, I don't want to submit to you. I'm going to turn left. And so they turn left, and because they haven't submitted to you, they're driving right into oncoming traffic because you're infinitely more wise than this five-year-old about how to drive. The same is with God. He's far wiser than us, so that means we have to listen to him. So it means we, are you ready for this word? It means we obey him. And we hear that and we're like, okay, I'm out. 
I know what it means then if I walk through that door. If I walk through that door, I lose control of my life. If I work, walk through that door, I lose my freedoms. But listen, you never really had freedom anyway. Not the way that you think that you do. A bird is most free when it is flying because it's doing what it is created and meant to do. We are most free when we are living the way God has called us to live because he created us to live a certain way. And so when we come underneath him and the way he, his wisdom, then it means we begin to live more and more and more the way he's created us to live. If I tell my kids not to eat chocolate anymore, they ought to listen to me. But they want a lot more chocolate than I want them to have. But if they didn't listen to me and they had all the chocolate that they wanted, they'd have diabetes in like two years from now because they would just keep eating it and eating it and eating it and their bellies would hurt like crazy because they want more chocolate than their bellies are able to handle. There's so many things in our lives where God is saying, right, turn right, and we want to go left. And because of that, we don't want to go into that room. Because we know if we do, then we're losing control. So let's take, let's take sex, for example. So God says, Sex is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's meant to be enjoyed inside of the context of marriage. You say, oh, this sounds so primitive. This sounds crazy. You say, no. You say, so then you say, okay, well, well, listen, we are committed. My boyfriend and I, my girlfriend and I, we're committed. Okay, well, then get married, God says. Well, we're not that committed yet. <laughs> or you say, we are that committed. We, we're ready to be married. Yeah, but you're not as committed as the people that have been married for 25 years. So just wait. No, I want to turn left. Or instead of it being not about something that you don't want to do, but something God says to do, to love others like he has loved you. Here's what that means. You don't put any conditions on the love that you have for people. So that means that you're saying, okay, I've done this, like we take our marriages. I've done this, and I've loved this, and I've done this. Where's my spouse isn't loving me right now, so I'm going to wait until this evens out. This is what we tend to do. This is how our relationships go. And God says, no, stop waiting to love. Don't put conditions on your love. Just keep loving them, even if you're not feeling loved by your spouse. Keep loving them. Stop, stop keeping score and try to outdo one another in showing love. You say, oh, that sounds hard. Well, yeah. But that's what happens when you open that door because you have just entered into a relationship with the God who puts no conditions on his love. So he just keeps pouring out this unconditional love over and over and over again. And the more and more you are walking into that room, the more you are experiencing that unconditional love, the more than you are giving others that same kind of unconditional love. Here's the other thing that stops us from going through that door. What we do is we stand on the outside of that door and we bring all kinds of questions to God before we open it up. We bring our intellectual questions, we bring our emotional questions, but that isn't how relationships work. 
You can't shout out your questions on the other side of the door. You just got to go in and bring your questions to him, enter into a relationship with him. So if you think about online dating, you meet somebody online, and before you have a date, um, some of you guys are like, what's online dating? It's okay. But let's say before you go on a date, here's what you do. You read someone's profile and you message them. And you say, hey, I can see that you like long walks on the beach. Well, that's great. I like long walks on the beach too. But here's the thing. I don't want to get stuck on the beach with you if I don't like you very much. It's going to be a long walk on the beach. And I don't want it to be a long, like horrible, boring walk on the beach with you. So can you do something for me? Uh, I'd like to know like a little bit about you first. So can you send me over your, your voting record? I want to know like what side you're on. I want to see if this is going to be like a thing. And then you say, uh, also before that, can you send me over your bank statement? Because I want to see what my, f my spending is going to be like in the future. And I don't want it to be like out of control. Also, can you send me over your personality type? Because I want to know on paper what everything looks like. And so you get all this information. Somehow someone has cooperated with what you've asked for. And you get all this information. And you look it over, and maybe you're messaging them, and you say, oh, yeah, so we had, like, two different opinions on some things, um, and I'm a little bit offended by what you said here, and I'm a little bit offended that you voted for this person here, so I don't think this is going to work. And then it ends. That is not a personal relationship. And if you do that, by the way, you're not going to be friends with anybody because there is not one person on this earth that thinks every single thing exactly the same way that you do. And by the way, in a week from now, you could believe something totally different than what you believe right now. So you're going to end up without having any friends. And if you have found the one person in this world who agrees with absolutely everything that you, have, you agree with, I want to tell you this. They don't really agree with everything that you're saying. You have either bullied them into believing everything or they're just like giving up because you're so passionate about your beliefs. That's not how relationships work. But we try to do this with God all the time. I want you to think about this. If God is truly the most infinitely wise and you're having a long walk on the beach with God, and we could probably agree that there's not one person on the earth that you would agree with everything on because you're constantly shifting what you believe. Don't you think if you're having a long walk on the beach with God, don't you think there's going to be something that he says that you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I don't agree with that. And he's going to be like, oh, well, let me explain. And you say, oh, wow, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We tend to want to box in all of our questions and put them in nice and neat before we will walk through that door. And that's not how God works, and that's not how personal relationships work. But so many, so many people are standing outside of that door, shouting questions to God through the door. Hey, God, what's up with the Bible? I mean, can I really trust it? And this is really your word? Like, can this really be truly your word? Like, I, I don't, this doesn't make any sense. I can't come to you until I have some answers about this. Or uh, why you got so many rules in the Bible about all of this different stuff? Or what about people who've never heard of Jesus? Or they've never heard of the Bible, or they never heard of the Father? What, what what about them? And what about science, God? I mean, I don't know if you know this, God, but we're down here and like science is kind of disproving the resurrection and it's kind of disproving all of these miracles that you keep talking about. Like, God, 
like you need to come down and explain yourself a little bit here. And, and you say, in God, this, Adam and Eve, I've got a question for you. Did they have belly buttons? Because how, I mean, did they, ha- there was, they came out of nowhere, so did they have a belly button or not have a belly button? You guys are, you have never heard this question before? Guys, you really need to start thinking about some things. This is an important question. They, didn't, they came from no wombs. You'll get it later. But I, look, we're really, it's like we're online dating with God. And we're looking at his profile first before we'll go on some date with him. This is the almighty God. And we're like measuring him up. We're looking at his profile. Okay, yeah, uh, I don't know. We have all these questions and we're refusing to go into a relationship with him. And that's when the questions get answered, when you get into a relationship with him. You have to open the door. And that's when things begin to make sense. Now you could, you could ask the people around you who have already gone through, and maybe they feel like you feel like they know the answers, but here's what's going to happen. They're going to give you an answer and it's going to frustrate you because in order to really understand You've got to walk through that door, and you've got to enter into a relationship with him. You say, well, okay, how do I open the door then? I've been here for a while. I think I might be ready to go in. How do I do that? Or you're like, I really haven't been with God in a while. I'm not sure, you know, should I really open this door? How do I get in? What's next for me? And here's the answer. If you want to get into that door... You have to see Jesus first. So, and this isn't seeing with your eyes. Look back at Philip. He says, Jesus, show us the Father, and it's going to be enough for us. Just show us, just show us him, and everything's going to be enough. And Jesus' response that we haven't looked at yet today, his response is a very mighty claim. And throughout the Gospel of John, we've been seeing some amazing claims that Jesus has been making himself out to be God. And this one, many commentators will say, tops the charts of what he claims about himself. Jesus says, okay, Philip, you want to see the Father? Look at me. So Philip's looking at him, and Jesus is like, no, 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 Philip. If you want to see the Father, look at me. Look at me. I and the Father are one. We are the same. See me, like really see me, he's saying. Now, he says, if you see me, you're going to see the Father. The Greek word here, there's two Greek words for see. And the, and the word that's being used here is not the words for seeing with your eyes. It's seeing with the eyes of your heart. It's seeing with a real understanding. Deep in your heart, this is about a personal knowledge. Personal knowing. Personal relationship. If you want, Jesus is saying, if you want access to the Father, you have to decide what you're going to make of me. He's putting it all on the line. And he's, this is very serious stuff. Whatever is keeping you from going to Jesus, get rid of it. This is what Jesus is saying. Whatever's stopping you, get rid of it. 
if it's a job that's taking up all of your time and you don't have any time to think about God or spend time with God, Jesus is like, get rid of it. If it's an obsession with money, get rid of it. If it's a house, burn it down. If it's a boat, sink it. Don't sink your boat. You can just give me your boat. That would be fine. All right, so listen, Jesus has gathered us all up. He's gathered us all up right outside of the door. And he's saying, you want in because the Father's in there. Everything that you want is right in there. He says, if you want to run through that door, you've got to decide what you will make of me. No one comes to the Father except through me, Christ says. But he says, you've got to see me with your heart. He says, look at me now. And as soon as Jesus says this, the same way the disciples were with Jesus this night, this night in this small closed-in room, and the next day they're at Calvary seeing Jesus crucified, the same way Jesus says, look at me. In this closed room, he says, look at me. And as soon as it happens, he takes you to Calvary. And you see him upon the cross. And you see for real why he is there. And when that happens, when you really see him, you turn into like this, you turn into this older man who was completely changed when he understood this. 2 Corinthians 4 says, knowing God, you can know God in the face of Jesus Christ. And you can look upon the face of Jesus Christ. How do you look upon the face of Jesus Christ? Through the gospel. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means you look upon the cross and you see Jesus hanging there and you say, I get it. I didn't get it before, but I get it now. Or I forgot it, but I remember now. He's there for me, for my sins. And you see it. And you see him. And you see him risen from the grave. And you say, ah, I finally understand why he had to rise from the grave. It was to conquer death. I get it. I didn't get it before, but I get it now. I finally understand it. And when you see that, you realize now you can run right in to that room. The door is swung open for you to run in, and that could be the first time you run in, or that could be the millionth time you run in, but every single time you run in, you are running in through Christ. He is the door. And you run in, and you see the Father sitting upon the throne, and you know what you can do? You can go up and crawl upon his lap, the king of the cosmos, because he is your father. And he gives you access to him like a father would. You go running in right now. Nothing has to stop you. And whatever you are waiting for, stop waiting and go in. You have complete access to him. He's been waiting for you to do this since the dawn of creation. He formed you before creation happened. He knew you before creation happened. And he formed you in your mother's womb. And he's been waiting for the day for you to come running in. So whenever you're ready, go. Whether it's the first time or the millionth time. But don't wait too long. You don't know when your time is up. 
And if you've already gone to him, keep going to him through Christ. Because every time you go into that room, he forms you, he is the molder, and he forms you more and more and more into who you've been created to be. The thing that you need most in life is to go into that room and to be with the Father. There's nothing else that you need more than that. And you say, oh, David, you're a pastor. Of course you're saying this. Just try it. See what happens. For so many of you, yeah, he's not going to kick you in the butt. You know what he's going to do? He's waiting for you to come in and just to go in. He, he's, he wants you to run in like a father wants you to run in. This morning, Cruz came out of bed, and he came running up and sat right next to me on, on the couch. Now, I had to get the sermon prepared and all this stuff, but you know what? I put it all aside because he came running up to come sit next to me. And if I am doing that, can you imagine how much more, if you come and do that, the Heavenly Father is going to welcome you up into his arms? And the thing, if you've been a Christian forever, the thing that you need the most is to be reminded of that because you forget it over and over and over again. That's what you need is him right through that door. And one of the best ways, God gives us a gift, and one of the best ways for us to walk in that door is through communion. Because here's what Jesus is saying. I am the door and the way in is through me. And when he says, my body is broken. When it says that, it's saying we enter in through him. The door has been broken, and we enter in through him, the door. And he's our nourishment. He's our spiritual food. He's the thing that we need more than anything else. He gives us life so that we can go be with the Father. So we're going to take communion. And... Um, as we're doing this, you've got to understand, this is about a divine drama being acted out before us. The reason that this exists is not some empty ritual. The reason that this exists is so, you're, you, so you can see Christ crucified and risen so that you would see this and then be brought into this heavenly throne room. Let me pray for us.